Professor Chris Hurd, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for the invitation. Now, what did you think when you first heard that you were going to be among this extremely elite group getting to look at some Mars rocks eventually? I was pretty excited. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a bit of a dream come true for me. Now, we've spoken before, Professor Hurd, uh, about a special facility that you have that, that makes your experience, I guess, that much more valuable to, to such explorations because you've mentioned that you, uh, the university there in Alberta, have the only refrigerator for space rocks. Tell me a bit about that. That's right. We call it a cold curation facility. It's designed to keep samples cold and pristine um, after they come to Earth. In this case, it was set up for the Tagish Lake meteorite, which fell in northern B.C. in 2000. And uh, we use it for that, but we use it for other things as well. And really what it does, it's, it's in the realm of what we call advanced curation. Curation, in this sense, is how do you keep samples from space pristine, uncontaminated from Earth, um, you know, organic matter, bacteria, things like that especially, but other stuff too. Um, and it does relate broadly to to Mars or bring samples back from Mars because we'll need really advanced curation for, for those samples. Now, how does one go about being selected by NASA for this extremely important uh, analysis? Uh, it was about a year and a half ago. I put in a proposal to NASA saying, uh, here are my qualifications, you know, things about the, the cold curation facility and my expertise in meteorites from Mars and and also in teaching students how to explore in, in a geological sense, do field geology. And uh, then I had to wait almost a year, I think it was. And then they, uh, they sent me a letter saying I've been selected. Now, my understanding is that what's going to happen is, is NASA's going to send a, a remote vehicle to the surface of Mars, which will pick up some rocks and so on. First of all, how do they decide what rocks to pick? Well, that's the main goal of this. So the rover itself, the Mars 2020 rover, which launches this year and arrives next February, is extremely capable. It has all kinds of fantastic tools on board to explore the area that it's landing at and tell us about the geology of that area. But the added thing that it's able to do is to take up to 30-some samples from uh, different rocks around the area. And in this case, though, it doesn't actually have the capability to bring those back. It seals the samples, their core samples, drilled into a rock, seals them inside of a tube and leaves them on the surface for something else to come and bring them back at a later date. But our job really is to help the project determine exactly which samples we need to bring back to really answer the big picture science questions for Mars. So your first involvement will be to help decide on the rover what to get. Is that correct? Exactly, yes. And then at some point in the future, uh, is, is, is that future determined at this point, or is it just sort of some point in the future they're going to bring back those samples and you'll be involved in that as well? Is that also correct? Well, there's, there's a plan. Uh, I hope to be involved in that. I'm, my, the, what I've been awarded is a spot on this Mars 2020 mission, which is the first step. Uh, the, there is a, 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 an agreement between NASA and the European Space Agency to, to plan out these follow-on missions a rover to go and collect up the samples that were collected by the Mars 2020 rover, uh, put them into a capsule, into a rocket, blast them into orbit around Mars, and then an, another spacecraft orbiting Mars will retrieve that and bring them home. The plan for that, the rover would be sort of 2026 or so, and uh, the samples would come back 2031, probably at the earliest. 
Now, in this initial sampling that you're going to be involved with, what kind of information is the rover actually going to be able to determine and, and send back to you? Yeah, this is the really interesting thing. So it, it's, it's highly capable. It has, uh, it's able to determine the compositions and, of the rocks, and it's able to essentially map out, provide the field context, the same way that we do as geologists on the Earth. Imagine if, you know, or I'm taking my students to a road cut uh, along a highway, and they say, okay, walk along this road cut and, and look at the rocks that you see, and then you need to hone in on those specific areas that are interesting, where something's really interesting going on, and then you need to make sure you take photos and sketches and all that kind of thing before you take a, a, a rock sample. That's essentially what we're doing with this rover. What do they hope to find uh, from these rocks initially or in the long term? The ultimate goal is to look for evidence of life. And we're going to an area where we know, called Jezero Crater, where we know there was water flowing into the crater and it was a crater lake somewhere around three and a half to four billion years ago. And sediments from the river flowing into that lake are still preserved there as what's called a delta. And so the idea is to look for evidence of life either as organic stuff that has been washed from the river down into the lake and captured in the, in the delta sediments, or uh, life that may have been living in the lake itself or at the edges of the lake, that sort of thing. That's the main driver for, for this whole mission, is to see if there's evidence of life. Now, the thing is that in order to really determine whether there's life there, the rover can't do that. It's extremely unlikely, I should say, that the rover would actually be able to find evidence of life on its own which is why the samples are all the more important. Because we can tell from the rocks and using the rover to analyze that context, we can say, okay, this is the most likely place. This is, these are the rocks that we need to eventually analyze in labs on the Earth. Because if life is there, it's not going to show itself like that to the rover. It's probably going to be in the samples. And after we throw everything we have at those samples when they come back to the Earth. Now, by, by life, we're not talking about uh, plants and fossils and things like that. I, I presume we're talking about bacteria and stuff. Is that correct? Right, yeah, 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 so, yeah, microbial sort of life, yeah, most likely. When we say water float on Mars, is this the same kind of water as we would know it? Yes, yes. Uh, for the first part of Mars's history, for its first sort of uh, few hundred million years, we know that water that was sort of neutral pH flowed across the surface, and then around about three, three and a half billion years ago or so, it switched to more acidic waters for reasons that we don't really understand. And so, but yes, it, that we would, we would probably recognize it. Um, and certainly the delta, the sediments there look like a delta that we have on the earth. Do we know what happened to it? Well, the water has gone, uh, has, a lot of it has been lost from the atmosphere to space. And a lot of it in, is probably in the subsurface as ice um, or at the poles. So now that you are uh, involved in this project, what happens to you? Do you do that from Alberta, or do you go down to, to Florida or somewhere to, to participate, or, or what exactly? The, I'll be down to Florida for the launch in July, and then after it lands, I'll be down to NASA Jet Propulsion Labs in Pasadena, California, and I'll go back and forth from there a few, probably a few times for sort of to-be-determined uh, periods of time. But uh, NASA also has developed these incredible tools uh, that can be used remotely uh, through the web and to be able to, to participate. So there's, there's a lot that can be done remotely as well. Did you ever think in your career that you would be doing something like this? Well, it was definitely a hope. I think about eight, age 13, I decided, hey, you know what, I want to be there and work on, I want to be a geologist, I want to be a planetary geologist, I want to work on rocks from Mars. So I, 
yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I ever really envisioned that I would be involved in a mission quite like this, but it's certainly something of a dream come true. Chris Hurd, thank you very much for this. My pleasure.